Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. Uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to Hebrews chapter 11 with me this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. We've been going through the book of Hebrews together, and uh, we're finally to chapter 11. We've been parked here for about uh, four to five weeks now, and we've got about uh, three weeks more to go. And so we've been looking at the, uh, the if you would, the heroes of the faith uh, that are before us in this scripture. And so we've been going just verse by verse, looking at these people and kind of going, hey, let, let's, um, let's dive into their lives and kind of what their faith brings out. And so this week we get to look at Moses. And so uh, we're going to start in verse 23 and read to verse 29. Here's what it says. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, he was grown up, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And by faith the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Would you pray with me? God, as we open your word this morning, would your word speak to our hearts? Would we see places in which we, where our faith is lacking, where we haven't put our trust in you? And we just, we know that you're great. Help us to realize that day in and day out. And then we pray, amen. Have you ever put yourself in a place where you, you have faith in um, in something, but you actually really don't trust it. Um, I, I have a 12-year-old son. Um, his name is Noah. Five years ago, um, he, we, my wife was pregnant with our daughter, Sarah. And so uh, my son, if you, if you didn't know much about him or you just met him right away, I feel like he could have been a preacher at seven years old, really. So, and that's nothing of me. But anyway, super cute. And so, um, in fact, actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, we asked him one day, we just said, hey, Noah, um, have you accepted Christ? He's like, yeah, like a year ago. And we're like, really? When did that happen? He's like, I was laying in bed and I was at nap time and I was just like, hey, God, make yourself real to me. And he started talking to me and I said, okay, great. I'm like, Awesome. Anyway, so my son makes my faith look horrible sometimes. But so we were pregnant with Sarah at the time, and um, we had a long discussion that night before we went to bed. And, and uh, we said, what do you think we're going to have? And Noah went to bed that night. And he goes, I, I don't know what we're going to have, Dad, but um, God will tell us. And we're like, oh, okay, that, that's fine. And so 
You know how you're a parent and you know the answer should be, yeah, we should pray to God. But you're like, God's not going to tell us, right? Like those things. And so you just, you just kind of are like, okay, go to bed. Good night. And so Noah, unbeknownst to us, uh, prayed that night. Hey, God, could you just share in a dream to me what mom is going to have? And so Noah wakes up the next morning and comes running into our room. And he says, we're going to have a girl. It's going to be so amazing. We're like, how, how do you know? And as a parent, I'm thinking, yeah, sure, it's going to be a girl. Yeah, like, we don't know. It's 50-50. We don't really, you know, we don't ask the, um, the doctor to tell us or anything like that because there's few surprises left in this world, and we love to be surprised. So anyway, Sarah comes along like five months later, and uh, Noah's with somebody. I can't remember who he is. And so we call him, and we go, guess what, Noah? guess what we had? And he's like, it's a girl. I already knew five months ago, right? That's what he says to us. I already knew five months ago. And that's one of those points where you realize, wait a second, there's a difference between faith and absolutely trusting. Absolutely trusting that what God shows us is right. Now, of course, we're adults and sometimes we sit there and go, well, wait a second, you need a little bit more empirical evidence and blah, blah, blah. And what if it what if God revealed to him that it was a girl and it ended up being a boy? Was God not right? Were we not? I'm not getting into any of that stuff right now. But what I'm asking you is, we've been talking about faith for this whole entire time, but I think we're getting to the point in this section of scripture where it starts coming into trust, where it starts coming into having to live our lives based on that faith that we have. Because if we say that we have faith, like we looked at last week in James, faith without works is dead. At what point do we start the process of trusting? And this life of Moses starts right away with his parents trusting. And so in verse 23, right away we see, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Here's what's going on at the time, right? So Pharaoh comes to the housewives of Israel and, and they say, hey, we've got a problem. We don't, we don't want any more Israelite boys. And so if it's a boy, would you just, if it's a firstborn, would you just please kill the boys just right away outside of the womb? And the housewives, they feared God. And so uh, they didn't do what Pharaoh said. And so Pharaoh was incredibly mad, brings them in. The housewives tell them, hey, wait a second. Wait a second. We fear God. And so all these women are strong. They have them before we, they have them before we can even get to them. And so that's why they're still alive. They completely lie to Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh says, well, that's fine then. Here's the deal. We'll just send people out. Whoever's the firstborn son, we'll throw them into the Nile to feed them to the crocodiles. So that's what was going on. And so by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. His parents took him. This is an incredible part right here. They saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edicts. I told my preaching team this week that we could go into a big, long um, ordeal and sermon on, on lots of different tangents on this. But this kind of hit me a little hard. 
Because you see, I'm kind of a guy who walks through and no matter what happens, oh, that just, eh, whatever, that's okay. That just must be the plan. That just must be what's going on. Oh, well, we'll, we'll just keep, we'll, we'll just, if we have a kid, if we don't have a kid, no big deal, right? That's kind of what I tell my wife sometimes. And then I look at it going, wait a second, do I realize that every child is absolutely beautiful? Whether this kid in, in, there are some scholars that believe that Moses had this special aura about him, but no, every kid is beautiful. The thing that was beautiful about them is, is this, is that I think they realized, I shouldn't say I think, they realized that God had something for them. They were in a relationship with God in which God told them, hey, don't get rid of this child. Hide him. And so that's what they did. They hide him. And his parents are Levites. And so if we know anything about the Levites, we know that they actually become the priests. Uh, they're the tribe of Levite. And so they become the priests for, priests for the Israelites. And so naturally, if you're taking notes with me, this is the first thing that I want you to get across is this, is that faith is passed down. That faith is passed down. That Moses' life is marked by people who had faith before him. Who realize how amazing of a child he is and are going to do anything they possibly can to preserve his life. And then, as they're passing down their faith, they're nurturing him because... He gets put in the Nile, and this is how good God is, right? And I, this is really hard because this is where faith and trust come together. Because his mom pushes him out into the Nile, and she trusts that God is going to take care of him. She sends her daughter along with him, and what happens to Moses? Moses floats into the bathing area of Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter picks the child up and goes, look, an Israelite, an Israelite baby, I'll call him my own. And because the mom sent the daughter, pops out of the reeds, right? I can just see this picture. She pops out. Hey, we can take care of that baby for you. Do you want me to find a nursing mother to take care? And Pharaoh's daughter says, absolutely. So the baby goes back to mom. Mom gets to nurture him in the faith over and over. Talk about watching a mom push their child out. And just say, God, would you take care of this child? We have a lot of parents that have done that. So if you're an empty nester, that's what you've done, right? You've pushed them out. You've had 18 years to be with them to kick them out of the house, right? But the whole point is, is that we've prepared them for that. Our faith is passing down. We just don't simply let them go. Instead of acting in fear, they saw that he was beautiful and that they trusted God in that moment. I wonder if you think about it, what faith has been passed down from you to people around you? If you're a boss, how are you passing your faith to your workers? 
If you're a coworker, how are you passing that faith on to your coworkers? If you're married, how are you passing that faith to your spouse, to your children, to all those around you, to your friends, your family? What kind of faith are you showing them? Is it a faith that just says, hey, maybe God will someday do something with us, or does it change the way you live today? Because when we're nurtured in the faith and when we're growing in the faith, things are going to happen. People are going to grow up. That's exactly what Moses does. We find all of a sudden in verse 24, it says this. He grew up and he's, he's left his home and he's back in with Pharaoh's family. And it says this though. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for he was looking to the reward. Every once in a while, our kids grow up all the time. Not once in a while. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> but here's the deal. As he's able to leave the house, he understands something incredibly. Moses knew who and whose he was. Moses knew who and whose he was. If I were to come up to you and I was going to ask you, who are you? Would you give me a list of all the things that you do in your life? Would you give me your title? Would you give me, well, I'm this, this is my name and this is what I do and this is what I have. These are, or, or would you be able to go, no, this is who God has created me to be. This is what God is asking me to do to move forward. Because as we see in this picture of Moses, he's been nurtured by his family. He's been nurtured to say, wait a second, you have a beautiful purpose in your life. God has got something for you. Would you seek that? And so rather than laying claim to stature, he aligned himself with Israel, who were slaves. Instead of taking up the mantle of greatness of, I am in the royal family, he says, no, you know what? I, I'm going to align myself with them because I actually know who I am. I know that I'm an Israelite. I know that God has been with me this whole entire time. And so, because he knows who he is, he also knows who he, whose he is. And so, because of that, he trusts the Lord and knew Egypt wasn't his home, which is another alliteration back to what we've ta been talking about, that if you believe that this is your home and this is your final place, it's not. Do we understand that we're in a journey, that we're sojourners, that we are strangers in this land, and God has asked us to live completely differently? And so he gives up stature to live a slave. 
Moses recognized the vanity of Pharaoh's house and the surpassing worth of the obedience to God. But see, I think that comes to us a little bit, and we need to realize that this, that it talks about, in verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And so coming to us today, <laughs> indulging in sin will bring great pleasure. It does. But that pleasure is temporary to the compared glory of God. We would rather sometimes have stature and have our sin, but completely forget that it's absolutely temporary, that it's not our home, that it can't last. And so Pharaoh, sorry, Moses aligns himself because he knows who he is and he knows whose he is. I wonder, do you live your life as if you've been saved by grace? That Jesus has paid it all for you. And are you allowing him to tell you how he's created you? It says in Psalms 139 that God knows absolutely everything about us before the foundations of the earth. He's the one that gets to tell us who we are. Or do we just have faith that someday we can get into heaven? Because I think that as we begin to know this, so we begin to know that Jesus has paid the price for us and that we are his and that we're willing to be his slave because of righteousness sake. We don't want to be a slave to sin anymore. And we know how he has created us and who we are. We begin to live today differently. But then what happens when we mess up? What happens when we do something wrong? Because as he's growing up and as he understands who he is and as he's beginning to uh, be identified with Israel, he still has a little bit of pull. And what happens one day? He watches an Egyptian mistreating some Israelites and he kills the Egyptian. He murders him. Some might say it's out of defense. I, I don't know, but hey, he took a life. And so now he's stuck with going, oh, wait a second. I thought I was supposed to be something special. And so in verse 27, we come along that says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Number three, if you're taking notes, Moses' Moses's faith kept his eyes on God in the midst of strife. This verse actually is suggesting that Moses knew exactly what he was doing when he fleed Egypt. He knew exactly that God was leading him out of Egypt to somewhere else. He didn't have fear of the Pharaoh he wanted to be obedient to God. 
And so in the middle of strife, in the middle of sin, what happens? Because a lot of us could just go plunge ourselves into deep depression. Well, I guess I've taken myself out. I guess I'm not worthy anymore. Or we don't think that God can use us anymore. But it says in the last of this verse, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He continued to walk with God. He separated himself for Egypt for 40 years so God could prepare him to be the deliverer of Israel. It's not that he was sitting there wandering around. It's not that he was just twiddling his thumbs. Actually, he was enduring and, and following God, doing what God is asking him to do, which I find is a little bit cool in this idea that for he endured has seen who is invisible, which goes right back to where we started in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He is so convicted to follow God. In the midst of wondering what's really happening, in the midst of wondering what's going on, have you been in that moment sometimes in your life? Man, we get tons of prayer requests over and over again. I don't know what's going on with cancer. I don't know what's going on with my marriage. I don't know what's going on with my friendships, my family, all of these things. Do we keep our eyes on God or do we keep our eyes on trying to fix the problem? And it doesn't mean we become lazy. That's not what I'm saying. But I wonder if we ask ourselves, God, would you help me keep my eyes on you? Would you help me to keep from drifting? And look for the burning bush moments to where you'll speak to me, to where you'll tell me where I need to go next. And would you actually wait for a response? So, in the middle of strife, in the middle of 40 years, God finally does talk to him as a burning bush. And then he goes back to Egypt and he does all these phenomenal miracles. It's in Exodus verse, chapters 1 through 13, if you, if you want to read it. And at the very end, it finally comes down to, after all of the plagues that happen, the very last one is God says, okay, I'm going to break the heart of Pharaoh. And so, they're going to do the firstborn curse. And that is, if you don't slaughter a lamb and put its blood on your doorposts, the angel of death won't pass through, will come into your home and will kill the firstborn. And so, Moses tells all the people in, Israelite, in Israel, hey, would you please kill a lamb Spread the blood on the doorpost so that your firstborns will be saved. Here's the crazy thing. Sounds so weird, right? In our terminology, this doesn't make sense and he still does it anyway. Because Moses knew salvation comes from God. 
Moses knew that the only way that we, they were getting out of Egypt is because of God. That salvation comes from God and God alone. Exodus 12, 21 through 28 says this. Actually, I'm just going to read it from here. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in blood that is in the basin and touch it to the, into the lentils and to the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the doors of this house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow, allow the destroyer to enter into your house to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And it goes on. And this is an incredible moment where we believe and understand that, uh, that the sacrificial blood of something saves us. And that's only by the power of God that can do that. But I don't see that it ends there because they do get released, right? And so they know that God is saved, that they're saved by the blood. But then it comes to a crucial point in their lives. In verse 29, it says, By the faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. Can you imagine this picture, right? They've been, been, uh, le they have left Egypt and they get to the point where they get to the sea and God has been carrying them the whole entire time with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by the day. And they're following the whole entire time and they get to the sea and they look back and who is chasing after them but a whole bunch of Egyptians wanting to kill them. Their first response, their first response cracks me up. It would have been better if we would have been back there. We wouldn't be in this position. We could have just stayed as slaves. It would have been better back there. And Moses knows that God delivers. And so he asks God, God, how do you think that we should go through this? And God tells him, would you stick your staff into the water, and the Red Sea parts. You see, I, <laughs> I have faith that God could part the Red Sea. But I don't know how much trust I would have to walk in the middle of it. Right? It's kind of like this. Dan shared this great story with me this morning. I loved it. It's, it's kind of like this, and, I, and I've heard this. There's a tightroper who is walking across the, I, I don't know, a long spread. And he has a wheelbarrow, and the wheelbarrow is empty. He says, how many of you guys think that you can trust that I can walk this wheelbarrow from one side to the other? And a lot of people are like, yeah, you're a tightroper. That's your job. You should do that, right? And so he goes, okay, I'll show you. And then he does. Then he says, how many of you think that if we put some weight into this, 
that I could make it across, that you have faith that I could make it across. And so, hey, we do. You're, you're, this, is, this is your job. We know you know how to do this. And so then he goes down and back and empties it out. And he goes, now, how many of you are willing to get into the wheelbarrow while I cross this? And not a single person said yes. I sometimes wonder to myself, if I have faith that God can can move mountains, can have miracles. But I'm not so sure that, he can, that I can trust him to carry me through it. Because I want to have hold on my own. See, part of me thinks that, and maybe just because I have a hero complex or I want to be Superman, I don't know. But part of me thinks to myself, well, I would just turn around and go fight them. There's like a million of you and not that many of them. Just go, just go fight them, right? Might makes right. <clears throat> and instead, God has completely different plans. The problem is, is that most of us aren't going to like God's plan. Because it means that we have to love the people who are unlovable. It means that we have to trust that his way is the best when it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It means that when loved ones die around us, we are left with this hole, but we have to understand that God has an understanding of what's really going on. He had as a plan to redeem all of that through his son, Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ saves us. And he also delivers us from this life to do exactly what we need to do every single day. It doesn't change for later. It changes us right now. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.